coming to church, and it was just gorgeous. I start talking to myself. Talk to the Lord. What a great day. Thank you. This is beautiful. Are you having a good summer? I hope so. It's half over. Over half over. Kids are going to be in school before you know it. So we have all that in front of us. Well, I hope you have enjoyed, if you've enjoyed going through uh, Luke chapter 16, if you want to turn there, that's where we'll be. Half as much as I have, and you've had a tremendous time in this study. What a powerful, powerful parable of what happens one minute after we die. We said last week that uh, there's really three uh, things that stand out about Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. It's, It's the one place in Scripture where we have the testimony of someone who has been sent to hell. What an amazing passage. That alone says that we ought to be studying this. We ought to be taking careful look at it. We said that the whole parable divides into two periods of life that every one of us are going to experience. Life before death, we pretty much got that down. We pretty much got that down. We like that. We like our lives. We like, uh, we like living in this world. Our roots sometimes go too deep in this life. But there's another life, a life that's going to last for eternity, that compared to this life, take the slightest little dash on a ruler and then extend that ruler all the way out. And that's the difference between the life before death and the life after death. It just doesn't compare with the length of time. And and death is that great separator. So whatever we're going to do for eternity, whatever's going to be determined is going to be done now. And it's got to be done before we die. But we also, and so there in your notes, life before death is verses 19 through 21. And life after death, we've been looking, is in verses 23 through 31. But we also said it answers Three questions people have about hell. And I guarantee if you raise this conversation up, people are going to ask questions like this. You've got a place to take them to in the Scriptures. The first question is, what happens one minute after people die and go to hell? A patient awakened after the operation, after uh, an operation they had had to find herself in a room with all the blinds drawn. Why are all the blinds closed? She asked her doctor. Well, the surgeon responded, They're fighting a huge fire across the street, and we didn't want you to wake up and think the operation had failed. (laughs) Okay? Now, you know, I I, I dug that one out, saw that, but you know what? I, I wish everybody took the reality and suffering of hell that seriously. But see, we, we live, we saw last week, we live in a, a country where a majority of people believe in hell, but I don't think they take it that seriously. I don't think it shapes how we relate to people, how we think about people. I was so blessed. One, one of our class members said, you know, after last week's message, I, I have some lost uh, relatives. And, and, you know, I thought, yeah, I know they're going to go to hell, and that's bad, but, you know, I'm not, and just, you know. And, you know, that really helped me to, to realize this isn't a good thing. Going to hell is not a good thing. And we are here to be his ambassadors to do something about it. The second question was, who will be surprised? Who will be surprised to be in hell? And so I want to review that just to set us up for, for that third question, how can I go to heaven and not be surprised? So last week we said, who is going to be surprised? Why was the rich man in hell? Cannot spend enough time thinking about this. 
Why do people go to hell? Why are the vast majority in hell surprised to be there? And we know that because we've been saying all through this that, uh, you know, we think there's a hell. People think there's a hell. It's just that they're not, it's not for them. Well, Jesus said the road's narrow, but broad, wide, and many will be on the road to destruction. So a lot of people are going to be surprised. Was it because of his stock? Was it because he was a Jewish man? Uh, no, or because he was a Gentile? No, this guy was descended from Father Abraham. The issue is not who's your daddy physically. We said the issue is who's your daddy spiritually. Surprise, both Jew and Gentile will be in hell and in heaven. Was it because of his substance? Was it because he was rich and rich people go to hell? Money can be a problem, we said, but the problem is not possessing money. The problem is money, what? Possessing us. Surprise, rich and poor people will be in hell and in heaven. Was it because he was a secularist? Was it because he was a materialist, a, a non-practicing Jew? No, he knew his Bible, knew his theology, and he knew his religion. Surprise, every religion, every denomination on earth will be well represented in hell, including every variety of Baptists. Was it because of his sins? Yes, this man was in hell because of his sins. The problem with that is we think it had to be a spectacular sin. You got to be a Hitler. You got to be a serial killer. You got to be someone like my boss. What? what? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you might be saying that. He had committed no spectacular sin. How many sins sends us to hell? Just one. We said, what kind of sins? Getting angry? Using our tongue wrong? lusting in our heart. We're all there. And the problem is, everyone in heaven is a sinner. So if being a sinner sends you to hell, well, how do these sinners get into heaven? So it, it, sin is the problem, but surprise, good people will be in hell better than some people that are in heaven. And bad people will be in heaven worse than some people that are in hell. So it's not as simple as just saying sin. Well, number five, was it because of his selfishness? Was it because he refused to help Lazarus? What's this big deal about the rich guy and the poor, poor guy right there? Was it because he didn't take time to take Lazarus into his home, clean him up, shave, uh, uh, give him a shave and a shower and square meals? No, because we are judged by our works, but no one is saved by our works. No one is saved by our works. We will... Uh, those who do not accept Christ will stand before God and they will be judged by their works. The only problem is everyone's going to get a big fat F. None of the balance. The, the, the good will never outweigh the bad. Revelation 20 says that. They are all raised to stand in their bodies to give an account for every deed done, every thought thought, every word said. We are not saved by our works, but we are saved, what? To do good works. So here's what I'm trying to say. It wasn't that, it's the fact that he ignored Lazarus, but taking care of Lazarus would not have saved him, but had he been saved, what should he have been doing with Lazarus? Helping him, taking care of him, not ignoring him. So, do I? 
Loving him. Why? And and not so that he could get to heaven, but because God had loved him when he was poor spiritually, paralyzed spiritually, helpless spiritually. And God bestowed grace on him, so now I'm going to bestow grace on this guy who's physically right where I was spiritually. So we're not saved by good works, but we're saved to do good works. We said it is the heart that matters to God. It is the heart that matters to God. How do I know this? Why is this parable all about the heart? Because we know in verse 15, look in your notes, in verse or in your Bible, verse 15, you are those who justify yourselves before men. I'm better than, than so-and-so. I'm going to heaven. I do good works. I pray my prayers. I go to church. I, I do all these things that other people don't. I'm okay. But God knows your what? Your heart. It's the heart of the matter. So we came to number six, and it was this, or let me say in your notes, a converted heart, a heart that's truly converted and born again, leads to a transformed life and a changed destiny. See, the issue is not just that this guy ended up in hell. He ended up in hell because he didn't have a converted heart, and between that conversion and that destiny, there should have been a changed life. And, Laz- and his treatment of Lazarus was proof that he didn't have God's heart. Does it, or is this making sense? I know we're doing some thinking here, and it's Sunday morning, and it's early, but we've got to think through this. Because if we don't grasp these underlying principles, our behavior is not going to change tomorrow with all the lost people we're around that are going to hell. So we've got to think through this. A changed heart always leads to a changing life. I didn't say a changed life as though I got saved and I made some adjustments and now I can coast through the rest of my life. A changed heart always leads to an ongoing changing life and guarantees a changed destiny. So, number six, was it because of his response to Scripture? And now we put an emphatic yes Put down there, yes, 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 yes. And then put ten times after that. It was his response to Scripture, which is the message of salvation. Look at verses 27 through 31. 27 through 31. Then he said, when he figured out that, hey, I'm suffering and I'm not going to get any relief, once He figured out that self wasn't going to be taken care of. Then he thought of others, which is what he did all through life. Okay, now look at what happens. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Right in your margin of your Bible, entire Old Testament, Word of God, Scriptures, Bible. They have the Bible. That's what he's saying to them. The complete Scriptures up to that time was the Moses and the prophets, the law and the prophets. Let them do what? Let them hear them. And he said, no, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will do what? Repent. But he said to him, did you not hear me the first time? Let me say it again, and I will say the same thing. If they do not, what? 
Here, Moses and the prophets, the Bible, the scriptures, the message of salvation, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. The Bible, here's what he's saying. What they need to not be surprised when they die that they are in hell is they need to hear the message of salvation that's revealed in the scriptures. So why are people sent to hell? Your notes... Notice what it says, people are sent to hell because they choose to reject what the Scriptures say about three things. They choose to reject what the Scriptures say about sin, about the Savior, and about salvation. So here's the answer to the question, how can I go to heaven and not to hell? How can I not be surprised one minute after I die and say, whoa, I wasn't seeing this? You know, it's like, have you ever uh, been asleep and you woke up in the middle of the night and didn't know where you were? You thought you knew where you were. I should be in my room, but you, you, you feel like you're not in your room. What, what, how, what's the heart do? It goes crazy. What do you start thinking? Well, no, I, I'm in my room. Oh, right over there ought to be. It's not over there. Have you ever done that? I did this once. The only books I've ever read that gave me nightmares. I, I, in high school, I would read through Lord of the Rings uh, often before I went to bed. And that's probably the most literary thing I've ever read that, that gives you a, a feeling of evil, a sense of dread, a sense of evil that is so thick and so real. Tolkien, who was a Christian, was able to write some fiction there that was just unbelievable, not a wise thing to read right before you went to bed. And so one night I woke up... And, and I had been having a, a nightmare about the Lord of the Rings and, and Mordor and all the orcs were coming after me. And I woke up and I'm like, okay, I should be in my room. I'm not in my room. And then it was like, I'm, I'm trapped and, and I'm fighting and I can't get out. And, and what I had done is I was turned around totally opposite in my bed and my head was where my feet should be. And so there's no getting out. When you're under the covers like that, there is no getting out. So, I mean, I fought orcs for about an hour there before I could get out with fear. And, and, and have you ever had, listen, that times that, I, I, I can't even multiply it beyond what you can comprehend. And there's people who are going to die, and they're going to wake up. And they're like, I ought to be this, and I'm here. And they're going to, they're, they're going to be surprised. They're going to be shocked. They're going to be overwhelmed. Now, how can we make sure that's not us? And more importantly, more importantly, how can we help others not to wake up that way when they die? So, here it is. How not to be surprised one minute after you die. Check your responses in four areas. Number one, check your response to the Scriptures. And here's the question. It's right out of the text. Am I hearing what God has said and is still saying through His Word? Check your response to the Scriptures. Am I hearing it? Listen, what sends people to hell, according to verse 29 and verse 31, is how we respond to the Scriptures. The rich man makes a request and a complaint. Let's first look at his request. His request is do more signs. If you would just do more signs, if God would do more signs, then I know my brothers would believe. The reason I'm here is I had the scriptures, but what I needed was someone coming from the dead. At first I said someone raising from the dead. He doesn't ask that someone's raised from the dead. He asked, I need a message from the dead. 
I need a spirit or a, a seance or an occult or yeah, do it anyways. An angel, make it spiritual, make it demonic. I don't care if something supernatural and out of the ordinary would happen, then they would believe. Now, people say this kind of stuff. If, if you're involved in witnessing to people, when I was in high school, one of my co-workers, right after I got saved, I was witnessing to them uh, down here at the movie theater that's now a pizza place, and he would say this, Chris, if God cared so much about me getting saved, he would just write it up there in the sky. And if he'd write it up there in the sky, then I'd, I'd get saved. He's saying the same thing this guy's saying. If God really cared about me, he'd do this. Then I'd believe. Well, listen, unbelieving people, just like we all once were, have all sorts of reasons why they reject God and His message of salvation. And let me tell you, some are sincere, but some are insincere. And what do we need to do? We need to take most of these reasons and objections or needs, we need to take seriously, and we need to try to remove all their obstacles as much as we can through two ways, acts of compassion and words of reason. Okay, so don't get this idea that you blow people off. Acts of compassion, words of reason. People need that. I needed that to get saved. And if you would go through what led you to Christ, it would be those two things or one of those two things in combination. Acts of compassion, unconditional love, and then words of reason. Sound answers to sincere questions. But, but... In the end, salvation comes down to this. The heart must respond to the Scriptures. Ultimately, it comes down to this. Here's the gospel. Here's the message of salvation. You must hear it. Because you can't do enough loving. And we can't do enough reasoning to change hearts. It's the scriptures. And listen, here's my, I'm jumping ahead in my application. My concern is we are getting so seeker sensitive, so intimidated, so postmodern in our approach to people that we're shutting the most effective way of changing hearts. We're putting it behind our backs and saying, oh, we just want to love you. We just want to love you. And listen, it's got to start there. But if you never get this book out, if you never memorize Scripture, if you never point them to the Scriptures and say, would you like to sit down with me and study what God really says, not what we think He says, we're not going to see conversion. And people's destinies are not going to change. We've got to get bold with the Scriptures. I already said, acts of compassion, words of, I'm not saying be... You know, literally what this passage says is turn or burn. We're going to get to that. That is not totally unbiblical. That's just not where we start with a with a placard walking down the street with a beard, turn or burn. Right? I mean, Rick, you would have ran if we started there with you. Well, you had been running. You'd still be running, wouldn't you? All right. So here's the deal. The request. Listen to this. The request for a sign after hearing the message of salvation is a sign of rejection, not seeking. You see, he had this, and he says, "I don't. That's not sufficient. I want a sign. That's not the sign of a seeker. That's the sign of rejection 
of the message. That's what we need to see. Follow the example of Abraham and Jesus and Paul and steer lost people away from seeking signs to searching the Scriptures. Let's Don't dump it on them as though you have the answers. That turns people off in this the culture. You've got questions, I've got questions, God's got answers. Let's search for them together. That's the approach. That's what we're saying. Now, the request is also a complaint, and here's the complaint. Your word is not sufficient, God. You've got to get underneath that. When he's saying he looks so, doesn't he look like he's so caring about his brothers? But in it, he's making a complaint. He's saying this, what you provided us and what we possess and what we've read is not sufficient. You haven't lived up to your end, Lord. Your word is not remitted. So this request for a sign is not only a sign of rejection, it is a sign of his rebellion, even in hell, against what? The very thing that would have saved him, the word of God. He's rebelling against God and saying to God, God, what you've done to warn people of where they will go is not enough. God, what you've done to woo people is not enough. But let's stop and think about this. Abraham says, no, no, no. Scripture is sufficient to convict them, to forgive them, to give them a new heart, to save them from hell, and to take them to heaven when they die. And here's the irony of it all. God did give more signs. There's another man, a real man, who's by the name of Lazarus, who died, and what did Jesus do? He raised him from the dead. So there was a man who lived not far from Jerusalem who had been dead and alive and was testifying Jesus is the way. How did people respond? We don't have time to go there, but some believed. But you know what the majority did? We got to kill Jesus. He raised someone from the dead. Now, not only Lazarus, but who else rose from the dead? Jesus. Lazarus rose to die again. Jesus rose to never die again. How'd they respond to that sign? You know what the Pharisees said? They said, from that day on, after he had died, they, pl- they, uh, they commanded that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he is risen from the dead, so that the last deception will be worse than the first. They rejected his message of salvation, and so therefore they rejected his resurrection from the dead. The two go hand in hand. How did people in general respond to the greatest sign of all? They refused to believe. It's not an issue of signs. Listen, what greater sign of warning could ever be given than the cross? Here's how seriously God takes sin. To deal with it, I must die myself. You know, there's no greater warning than the cross that God takes sin seriously and it, t- and it involves eternal punishment because an eternal God had to die to pay for our sins. Now, listen to this. What greater sign of wooing us to himself than the cross? That this is how much I love you, that I will come down myself. I will give my only begotten son. Listen, if you want a sign that warns us and woos us, look at what? The cross. So where do we need to point people who are looking for signs? To the greatest sign of all. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes on Him should not perish. There's the love and the warning, the wooing and the warning. 
Listen, the word preached, heard, and obeyed is the sovereign means God uses to save those He has chosen for Himself. Our duty is preach the word in season, out of season, from a heart of love. Con- Listen to Romans ten seventeen. Consequently, faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the preached word of Christ. I love how Peterson paraphrases that, and it's my point on this point. The point is, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. There's nothing to listen to. Listen, there's a reason that Luke ends his gospel with Luke 24 where he says to the two disciples on the way to a, on the road to Emmaus look in your bibles to Luke 24 verses 25 through 27 Because I want you to get that, listen, he, he's not just throwing this out as if, as if it's a minor thing. He's beating the drum like I'm beating it on a major point. Look at how he ends this gospel. Now I'm going to read it out of the net Bible, but you follow along. Look at verses 25 through 27. So he said to them, you foolish people. Now what makes a foolish person? How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Here's what a foolish person is. One who is slow to believe this word that is so clearly there spoken. Wasn't it necessary for Christ to suffer these things and enter into His glory? Then notice what Jesus... Here's the risen God. He's not doing sleight of hand. He's not running in and out of buildings, you know, walking through walls, which he could do. He's not disappearing and reappearing to impress them, which he could do. You know what he's doing? He's doing what you and I can do. He's opening the Bible and showing Christ right there in the Bible. Look at what he says. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Do you think Luke is trying to drive something home? He interpreted them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. Now jump down to verse 44. Now he's with all the disciples. And here he is right before he ascends into heaven. And guess what he does again? Look at Luke 24, 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in, I think you know it by now, What? The law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. This time he's saying, look, I don't want you to miss this concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they may comprehend the what? The Scriptures. Listen, please get excited. Please get excited that the Lord Jesus Christ, God Himself who is risen from the dead, has no greater tool... No greater power than to use the spoken word, the written and the, the written word. I just think that's an amazing thing. I think that's a powerful thing. We've got to get this word out of our laps and into the hearts of people. And you know what? You'll never do that if it's not getting into your heart. If you don't love this book, chew on this book, eat this book, feed on this book, love this book be changed by this book, why in the world would you want to share that message with other people? Now, listen to this. Let's go back to Luke 16. And let's look at verse 
uh, 16 of Luke 16. Because again, the purpose for the parable is found in the context. Look at verse 16. He says it again. He says, and he's saying this to the Pharisees who represent the rich man, or who the rich man represents. Verse 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing, and some translations say forcing into it. So I won't get into the depths of this. The, uh, the, the, uh, the best understanding of that, and it's a difficult verse to understand, is this. Let me read it to you from the Net Bible. The law and the prophets were enforced until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom has been proclaimed, and everyone is urged to enter it. It's a forceful urging. It's, it's, look, look, let me urge you to respond to this message. But notice what he says after that. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tri- tiny stroke of a letter in the law to become void. Now, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this. This book reveals the message of salvation. Our response to the message of salvation determines our eternal destiny, and not one word of this fails. And we, you know, and the world can reject it, we can attack it, we can deny it, we can do all those things, and it still times. And what we ought to be doing is forcefully, passionately urging people, hear this, hear it, and enter into the kingdom of heaven. All right. Now, how not to be surprised one minute after you die. Check your response to the scriptures. Now, here's what's important. Am I hearing what God has said? Number four, or the fourth point under that, those who have truly heard. What's it mean to hear the scriptures? And I'm just going to, this is, we're going to get one point today. What's it mean to hear the Scriptures? You know what? So many... I mean, one of the greatest things about our church are two things. The Word is taught faithfully. And I think passionately. And I think accurately. And we have a consistent core group of people that come to hear it. But the question is... What does Scripture How does God define hearing the message? I want to show you something. I dug a little bit into this, and it's just the coolest thing. And I hope I'm not, I'm not trying to take you deep for deep sake. I'm trying to take you to see that God takes so much more seriously the, 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 the sharing of the gospel and the response to it than what we typically do even as Christians. Are are you with me? Because here's what I'm looking at, Luke 16. I'm thinking, in verse 29 and verse 31, he says, look, the only thing people need to determine their destiny is a right response to Scripture. So, of course, I want to look at that and say, what's that right response, right? And here's what he says in verse 31. If they do not hear Moses... And the prophets. So the first thing people think is, oh yeah, I've heard the gospel, I must be saved. Or they think, I heard the gospel when I was a kid, and I made an emotional response, or I prayed a prayer, so I must be saved. I heard it. In fact, I could even tell you what it is. 
But is that what hearing means in this passage? And so that I don't read into the text, and I don't, you know, you don't base it on what I say. I want to show you from the text what hearing means. And it's a powerful parallel. Look at what he says. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be what? Persuaded though one rise from the dead. What I want you to see, and you can fill in your blank here, those who have truly heard have been persuaded to trust and obey the Scriptures. I think I got some funky grammar going on there that you got to correct. Those who have truly heard have been persuaded to trust and obey the Scriptures. Now, I want you to look at verse 31. The use of the word here is parallel to the word persuaded. In other words, hearing the Scriptures, truly hearing them, is being persuaded by them. But persuaded to do what? I want to show you two things from Luke's own writings. It means persuaded to trust what they say and to follow whom they say. Persuasion here, this word for persuaded means to be convinced to the point that you identify, you join, you believe, you follow, you obey what the message you have heard. Now, is that different than hearing something when you were a kid and then going on with your life? Always pulling out the heavenly life insurance that if anyone says, if you were to die today, do you know for sure? Yes. Way back when? Is that persuasion that leads to what I'm going to show you? Let's see. Let's look at it. Let's look at it. Those who have truly heard or the hearing that's being spoken of is not just hearing, it's listening. You guys have done it. Parents, have you done this? You tell your kids to do something, they don't do it. Right, Dana? Like all kids. Our kids are all the same. And then what do you say, Dana? Did you hear me? Now, did they hear you? Of course they heard you. You knew that. Why are you saying, did they hear me? What do you mean by hear? Are you going to be persuaded? <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly it. Do you see that in that verse? He says, listen, if they do not hear, and I don't mean, I mean, did you hear what God said? That if you do not accept His Son, you will die and go to hell. Did you not hear that you're a sinner worthy of hell? Yeah, but I, no, no. Did you hear me is what God is. Are, 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 am, I, am I communicating? I'm sure I'm over communicating, but... Let me show it to you from the Bible. Acts 17. Persuasion means to be won over by the act of persuasion and leads to trust and obedience. I want you to turn to Acts 17, 1 through 4. Because you know what I found? I love doing word searches in Scripture. You know why? Your best tool for Bible study is a concordance. Because the Bible explains itself. And you know what? I said, I wonder how Luke uses persuaded other places in Luke Acts. And you know what I found? I found this passage. It's very interesting. It'll tell us what persuaded means. Acts 17, 1 through 4. <coughs> now when they had passed through whatever that town is, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. 
where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as was his custom, went into them and for three Sabbaths, look at this, reasoned with them from what though? From the Scripture. See, we do a lot of reasoning from our own wisdom. And that doesn't convince anybody. He reasoned with them with the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I do what? Whom I preach to you is the Christ. Now look at verse 4. And some of them were what? Persuaded. Same word as in Luke 16. Same gospel writer. Now listen, and a great multitude of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. And then what did they do? They joined Silas and Paul. That's what hearing the Scripture means. That's what persuasion means. It doesn't mean, oh, yeah, I did that long ago and now I don't go to church. But I'm born again. No, what it means is, look, they heard, they were persuaded, and what did they do? They identified with these guys who weren't the most popular people in town. In other words, they identified with, it says Saul and Pilate, uh, uh, Paul and Silas, but who are they joining? Who are they identifying with? The Christ whom they preach. And what are they getting in on? The suffering that Christ and Paul and Silas experienced. They, we're going to see next week, they repented. They, they said, you know what? I'm no longer with this crowd that's going to hell. I'm going to identify with this crowd that's going to, sev- going to heaven. And, 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 and I'm doing that because I heard the message. I'm persuaded and I've joined. I've signed up. I'm in this all the way. That's what we're talking about. So when I say a response to Scripture, I don't want you to tick that off in your head in some light fashion saying, yeah, done that. Now let's, you know, let's get on with this. No, let's, let's just never get away from it. Let's just never get away from it. Let's be persuaded. Let's hear the Scriptures and believe and join. Now let me take you a little farther. Acts 28. Turn to Acts 28, 23 through 30. Acts 28, 23 through 30. Now, do you, do you guys mind doing Bible study during the discovery hour? Okay. Okay. Just want to make sure. Acts 28, 23 through 30. Now, notice what happens again. So, when they appointed him, a day, many came to him at his lodging. They're coming to the Apostle Paul. He, he, he's in jail. He's under house arrest for preaching this message, this message of salvation. See, the crowds aren't saying, oh, we love this, give more. And he's saying, hey, they don't like this. I better change my message. He just keeps preaching the message. He can be in jail, out of jail, in season, out of season. I preach the message. I preach the message. And what's interesting? There's always some who believe, no matter how bad it gets. Now, look. They came to him at his lodging. To him he... uh, Now look at this. He explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them, same word, concerning Jesus Christ. Now what do you think he did it from? 
from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. Now look at verse 24. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, not the signs he performed. He could perform them. It was the words he spoke. And some and some did what? Did not believe. So what's persuasion? Persuasion is belief and trust. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one, said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, and now he's going to tell us what hearing really is. Go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. You'll be just like my kids. You heard it, but you didn't get it because you didn't do it. There was not life change. And seeing you will see and not perceive. And then notice for the what? The heart. What did I say is the issue? For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard. They have hard hearts and they're hard of hearing. And their eyes have been closed. They're spiritually blind. They're hard-hearted. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. There's repentance. So that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation has been, of God has been sent to the Gentiles. And, the, and then I love this. And they will what? They will hear it. Now, what's by this time, do you figure out what's he mean by hearing it? Saying, la-di-da-di-da, that was nice. Where are we going to eat this afternoon? La-di-da-di-da, I've got work to do tomorrow. No, they're going to hear it. They're going to be persuaded. They're going to trust. They're going to identify with Christ. They're going to start sharing this message with others as though it's the most important message in the world. Now, let me take you one more place. Acts 26. It's used again. Acts 26, verses 28 through 29. Acts 26, verses 28 through 29. I'll read it from the Net Bible. You follow in your translation. Verse 27. Now we see Paul in action. I mean, here he is doing what we should be doing to help people go to heaven and not be surprised in hell. Here is an actual live witnessing. Are you in? We're tuning in. Here it is, verse 27. Do you believe do you believe the what? The prophets. Now let's translate that for us. Do you believe the Bible? Do you believe the message of salvation? King Agrippa, I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in such a short time, are you, and then here's our word, are you persuading me to become a Christian? You see, Agrippa knew what was going down. And you know what he knew? I've got a response. I've got a decision to make. And Paul's closing in on for the kill. He's getting close, man. He's getting close. He's trying to get me to what we call in evangelism, cross the line. See, Agrippa is teetering. And he knows all that's left between him and God, him and his sins, and him and his destiny is to cross that line of hearing, persuaded, trusting, joining, and he does this. He steps back. And he says, Paul, you think you're going to close the deal right here in front of all these people this right now like this? And look at what Paul says. And may this be 
our heart. Paul replied, I pray to God that whether in a short time or a long time, not only you, but all those who are listening to me today could become such as I am except for these change. What he's saying, you know, he, Paul had to be careful. Oh, I wish you would, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, I wish you'd be like me, headed to Rome to get my head chopped off. What he's saying is, no, I don't want you to be in jail. I don't want you to be in prison. But what I want you to be is a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to not be surprised that you're in hell. I want you to hear the message of salvation. And if it takes you a long time, you know what? I love what Paul's saying. See, he's not saying, you've got to make a decision now or I'm going on to someone else. He's saying, you know what? If it takes you a short time or if it takes you a long time, I don't care. I just want you to be saved. That's just good stuff, man. I got, I got excited this week. I want you to be excited. Not because I'm excited, but because the Scriptures are an amazing message. Listen, folks, we are not sitting at round tables drinking coffee just to come here week in, week out, and remain the same. And not see... Our lives change, not see new people enter these doors. But to do that, we've got to exit these doors with a burning passion and mission, just like the Apostle Paul, just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, that man was in hell because he had this book, Old Testament only, but this book, and he chose not to respond to it. You know what? Most of us, I would imagine, have responded to the message of salvation. What I want to challenge you to do, are you still responding to the message we've just heard? Next week, we won't get into God's mercy. We'll finish this lesson out. But this scripture aspect is so important. And what we're going to see next week is this, that these scriptures say something about our sin, they say something about the Savior, and they say something about our salvation. And it's our response to those three things, our sin, the Savior, and salvation, that determine whether we're going to go to heaven or hell. So I hope that, I hope you're persuaded. I hope you've been persuaded. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Your grace is more abundant than what I can communicate. Your Word is more wonderful than I could cause anyone to see. You have to do that. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who is not sure of their salvation, that uh, fear, embarrassment, shyness, or even guilt would not be the hindering thing. I pray if anyone's here like King Agrippa, that they're right there at the line, that, Lord, we'd cross over by faith. And then, Lord, I pray that uh, we've been spoken to from your Spirit and we see that we've got a great treasure in the message of salvation. Help us to share it as, a, as though our lives and the lives of others depend on it, for they really do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.